Hello friends, welcome to episode 138 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level, I'm Sarah. And I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? Happy Yule. Yeah, happy Yule. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's finally that time of year. It's it's come around. Yeah, may each and every one of you find uh, warmth and light in the darkest night. Yes, yes, and and a a quickening sunrise and uh, longer days. Oh goodness, and it can't come soon enough. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. The, uh, for for all of you uh, suffering from seasonal affective disorder, seasonal affective depression, uh, I am uh, I am sorry, and I am with you. And at least in the northern hemisphere, for you in the southern hemisphere, for you in the hemisphere, happy happy summer, happy, happy summer. midsummer. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're we're sorry that it's so hot. If it is so hot and crazy for you, so. yep. Yeah, I, I've always wondered like how that's got to feel. <clears throat> To be on the other side, like oh, Christmas all about snow and trees, and not not for half, literally half the globe. <laughs> I mean, I, I, su- I suppose it's just as normal as it is up here. You know, if you're if you're from somewhere else, I mean, I, I suppose it's probably weird if you change hemispheres. Yeah, um, I would definitely say but, that, uh, especially with the toilet no, I, going I, the other I, way. I've, I've had Australian friends in the past, and uh, yeah. you see Facebook posts from them, and they're like, and you know, it's the middle of June, and they're like, oh, I'm just not ready for this weather, and I'm like, it's smoldering hot, huh? And they're like, no, it snowed today. Yeah. I was like, oh, right, 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 Australia. Yep, yeah, okay. Yeah, oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So, <sighs> I don't know if I'm ready for this season, really. Like, I, I'm, be- I'm better prepared, I think emotionally for this Christmas mm-hmm. than I've been in a long time because I feel less anxious. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like concerned about things, which is weird to say that after the last two years of insanity. Yeah. Um, But I think more related to like family and gift giving and that whole thing. Like I've kind of hit a point where I'm okay. Yeah. Like I'm, I've, I'm good. Like I've communicated with enough people that like, Material things aren't something I'm really interested in right now. I yeah. get what I need. Yeah. You know, come see me if you can or talk to me or send me a message or we'll talk online or something, you know? Yeah, you know, I like I, I was recently um hanging out with my uh my daughter or my daughter, uh my uh my sister and, and uh, uh her nephews. Yeah, yeah, you um, you just had that sushi night kind of thing. Yeah, and so that's that's what we did for uh for her and her husband we did uh we basically just bought like a ton of sushi and just went over there and just shared Hell yeah. for uh, everybody's respective birthdays, because like nobody was really interested in like gifts. You no, know? no. Um, and uh, I thought that was that was really good. Yeah. Um, and then of course I'm I'm a little on the outs with my own family right now for you know probably obvious the reasons. Season. Yeah. And so I, like Christmas always used to stress me out because of all of this stuff. And yeah. like dead honest, as as much as I don't like being on you know on on, on the opposite sides of my family right now, like it's a big weight off my chest that's the weird part about those moments where like that decision got made for me and like now all of a sudden it's just like okay uh, you gave yourself a gift i yeah peace and quiet i mean there's something to be said for that but like coming to conclusion Mm -hmm. i mean we we do it in stories all the time like we're stressed out until we hit the conclusion yeah, and yeah. then when we hit that, there's a little remorse there, but at the same time, it's a huge relief. Right, right. Once, there's, once there's a resolution, once all the all the the, the build up and and, and stuff of that. Even you know. if you're talking about like a fight, like you, you got combat going on, like until that combat's resolved, you're like, <sighs> sure. Even as the storyteller, you, you may know? be low on hit points after, but at least it's after. Yeah, that's the, that. Yes, exactly, yep. exactly. So, yep, yep. So this week we're talking about. Multi-genres. Multi-genre settings. And and what got me, like, or we, we, we kind of threw this out to we're like, you know, we do the typical, like, is there enough here to talk about? Yeah. And honestly, there's quite a bit, but it's a lot of conversation, really. Yeah. Because we're not going to say what's good or bad, because that's not the point of this. It's right. kind of more discussing how things go together and how they have gone together. Yeah, and I think that there's very little, there's very little how-to yeah. Um. It's 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 very simple, mm-hmm. honestly, to to create a multi genre setting. Um. Just a few things you got to kind of like pay attention to, but to kind of make things jive together. But yeah. honestly, it's not really like a an hour long discussion on you know. No, but we did have some really good questions it. that help kind of gave us a little more spin. But I think one of the things that we came 
just through our discussions and kind of laying things out for this show, because one of the hardest parts is like, where do you start? Right, right, like, right. What what angle do you start with? And I think in just the discovery of the start, we figured out that there were kind of two methods that seemed to be prevalent. Sure, sure. Um, so let's let's talk first, just real quick, about what a multi-genre setting is, because that's that's always the best place to start. Yeah. Um, define what exactly what it is we're talking about. Um, so multi-genre setting is settings where you've got two main literary genres going together mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now and literary genre is kind of a broad term it is and we were looking up like a big list of these things and um like some of the literary genres are things like horror mm-hmm. uh and and suspense mm-hmm. and stuff like that but like those aren't really tangible things because you can do horror in just about anywhere like horror doesn't have a time and a place and a set of yeah. things uh, but you can say gothic horror yeah, sure. But it's not a mix of a setting. That's, right. It's a horror in a gothic setting. Sure. Yeah. Um, so what we're talking about more um, in literary genres is things like fantasy. Right. Okay? Fantasy being shorthand for things like sword and sorcery, where you've got primarily, you know, swords, armor, shields are the way of getting combat done. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably have magic of some sort. Yeah, if you've got high fantasy, which where you push races, you've got mm-hmm. dragons and ridiculous magic, and low fantasy, which is really just medieval and renaissance. Yeah, and you t- know. typically based off of Western European uh, medieval traditionally stuff, but not. Well, I mean, you know. when you're talking about fantasy, but you can you can have arena fantasy, Arabic, Egyptian, yeah. you know, Bushido. I mean, technically, all of those are classified as fantifical because it's a it's not true historical. Sure, you know, sure. it's fantasy. <laughs> but we're talking things like pre you know pre electricity, pre gunpowder, yes, uh, sort of things like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, whereas, you know, another genre might be, you know, sci-fi mm-hmm. or spacefaring, you mm-hmm. know, typically you're going to have things like laser blasters and mm-hmm. your, your main mode of travel is going to be spaceships. Yeah. Your story will span planets, solar systems. Yep. Um, and there may be a lot of other higher technologies. You may have alien races. You might yep. not, Yep. you know, but those are things when we say sci-fi, that's the genre we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, to a degree superhero is another one yeah absolutely um, because it goes anything um and and this kind of sets a framework to allow us to then talk about okay now what are we gonna what are we really talking about when we're talking about mixing genres mm-hmm. um so one of the first examples and probably the most broad example that can be given is star wars yeah is, is a very clear mix of genres you have a sci-fi setting yep and you have a fantasy technically a high fantasy setting Yep. Because uh, you do have magic, you have wizards, you know, but it is a true blend of the two. Yeah, exactly. You've it's a the the the, the first movie, A New Hope, mm-hmm. is a story about a uh, a wizard mm-hmm. who gets a magical message mm-hmm. from uh from a princess who has been captured by an evil wizard. Yes. And he takes on a wizard's apprentice, mm-hmm. teaches him how to use a magical sword. Yeah. And then they, with a couple other ragtag group of, uh, of of merry men... Have an Excalibur mission. Ass- yeah. Assault mm-hmm. the, the castle of the, the evil wizard and rescue the princess. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and pretty cut it. and dry. Yeah, it's, it, it is a fantasy story. Okay, but do that in space. Right. And that's it. That's Star Wars. But what's interesting about that is that Star Wars is a contextually folded multi-genre. Because we're we're still able to one hundred percent see that is a fantasy story, like it is all of the tropes that make up the fantasy elements. You were able to one hundred percent lay out, yeah. and they are merely disguised. There's a, cl- a a thin visage that sits right in front of them that is the sci-fi edge of that. Yes, um, yes. And there is nothing to say that the star whole of the Star Wars universe is fantasy. It's not. It is each one of the tellings within it is a slightly different. Boba Fett is, you know, no, I'm sorry, uh, Mandalorian is, is Western. Western sci-fi. I mean, yeah. that's it's, it's it's you can still see all of the tropes that's that follow. It feels it. like Firefly. So Again, much because Firefly West. is also a space Western. Yeah. So when we're talking about that, we're talking about. Oh, I'm about to sneeze. <laughs> Bless you. Pardon me. Um, is that one of the methodologies is just that. It's folding. It's where you very clearly can see the original first genre because it has not changed. All the first genre's tropes are still there. Mm-hmm. They are merely masked by the second one. 
yeah. so that you can you can move through them. Um, the second style is where it gets a little more blended. It's more like a port. Um, and that is, is where you fundamentally change and reimagine the first genre using the second. Yes. Um, and these are the, the deeper stories that uh, tend to have... Um, uh, uh, it, it, there isn't a, such a cut and dry. Um, White Wolf is a great setting that blends, depending on where you're coming into it, like the Dark Ages of White Wolf mm -hmm. um, is a whole setting within itself, and it blends the Dark Age of time with this fantasy, uh, urban folklore kind of contemporary um, um, monster set that we have. Yep. The, the, the monster movie, if you will, where you have vampires and werewolves and, you know, a hermetic mages and, and things like that all working in this occult kind of hidden setting that sits directly in line with the medieval and uh, um, dark ages of, uh, of humanity mm -hmm. along the sides of it. You know, where everything is still very clean, but it is blended 100% in a, in a mixed sense. And so you're fundamentally changing everything. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, it's basically that um, in, in, in the first way, you're kind of you're, you're, you're introducing genre one into genre two, mm -hmm. but you're still following the rules of genre one. Yes. In these stories that you're talking about, like, uh, like White Wolf and stuff like that, you're, blend, you're putting genre one into genre two, and you're following all the rules of genre two. In, in most cases, I would say, yes. yes. Or, or it's a blend of the two. Yes, exactly. exactly. You know, they um, they both get a lot more say on it. Yeah, I, there's a number of uh, um, of of contemporary uh, fable stories mm -hmm. um, where you have all of the fable characters. You have Red Riding Red Riding Hood and Snow White, and you know the Huntsman, and uh, you know the Mad Hatter, and and all of these f story fabled characters who are now living in a common city together. They are still meeting their tropes, mm -hmm. but it's a pulp story about a murder. Yeah. You know, and you're like, okay, I can, I can identify all these characters, uh -huh. but we're in this pulp story where the werewolf is a is is the primary investigator? Yeah. O okay. You know, he's the big bad wolf, but he's also the wolf of... Of Red Riding Hood and, you know, and all Wolf these things. Wall Street. <laughs> exactly. So it it blends, it, it is a true mix of these stories and it it, it obscures mm -hmm. uh, to a point where the second comes into flavor more. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Uh, and it's it's interesting because, uh, you know, we, we start very much like, like a lot of our discussions start where we're like, okay, well, we've got one little kernel of an idea for how to... Uh, how to talk about this? Mm -hmm. and let's just just start discussing it and see what see how deep the excuse me how deep the rabbit hole goes. And um, for me at least, the rabbit hole went pretty deep on this one. Yeah. Uh, in that, I was I I really thought that multi genre settings were a rarity, mm -mm. and I started realizing that damn near every setting is a multi genre setting. Oh yeah, I at mean... least at least in some way. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. So I know I asked you earlier um, to come up with – to just think about as many campaign settings as you possibly could, right? Okay. Yeah. I mean I kind of came up with a list of ones that either I had heard of or some that I would like had barely remembered. So this is this is why because it was for, for this particular discussion topic. Sure. Okay. Just go ahead and list some of the settings, some of your favorite settings, some of the settings you've heard of, some of the settings you want to play. Just give me some settings. Here. Like legitimate game settings? Yeah, like legitimate game settings. I mean, you got like Legend of the Five Rings. Okay, Legend of the Five Rings, which is a uh, uh, fantasy and Bushido setting. Yep, 100% mix. Yep. Um, well, 7C is an easy one because it is literally historical uh It's uh, swashbuckling Europe. plus fantasy. Well, yeah, it's and it's also historical Europe meets fable. Mm-hmm. So, um, we have, uh, we talked about all the cyberpunk ones. E each one of those is a... Well, we, we didn't, we didn't talk here about the cyberpunk ones. Right. Yet. Uh, we'll, we'll get to the cyberpunk yeah, ones. Yeah, and, and, and what punking really is, which is interesting the way we cut it up. Um, but, you know, even, uh, I would say some of the, um, uh, uh, like Trinity, it was another example. Trinity was uh, uh, sci-fi superheroes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because um, it's uh, far future. Yeah. yeah far, far. Well, sci-fi. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I, I, sci-fi, far future. Yeah. Uh, so, 
yeah, sci- sci-fi is su- superheroes in space. Mm-hmm. And you've um, got, you know, if you go through all of them, you have adventure. You have adventure Aeon. is pulp superheroes. Yep. Uh, uh, Aeon is uh, or uh, uh, aberrant is uh, contemporary superheroes. Yep. Um, and I, I started thinking, like, my God, do I do we actually have any pure uh, settings? And like, D and D was like one of the only pure settings I could think of. And then I got thinking, like, is cyberpunk a pure setting, or is it a multi-genre setting? And that's kind of what got us on the discussion topic of what is punk. Is is, is punk, punk its own setting? A genre. And I, I tend to believe that that punk, cyberpunk came as a uh, as a projection of writing that was coming out at a specific time. It was defining a, a genre of writing. Um, but I think that came from a much more rebellious core kernel. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about the writers of those times and and where the term punk came from. Yeah. That developed, you know, city punk, cyberpunk, diesel punk, all of these things were already there. They just weren't developed into into uh necessary literal literary culture mm-hmm. but they were always there um the that fight against uh, a higher power and in the accepting of the 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 crucible of change yep that we're all the same regardless of how we look regardless of how we address ourselves to each other we are all punking mm-hmm. within that and i think that was one of the one of the the best parts about it is that it is everyday people empowered against the system utilizing that setting or that framework to unify. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so that's where we have things like cyberpunk was the first dystopian one where we're dealing with this dystopian future with cyber modifications mm-hmm. where everyone is acceptant of the cyber modifications, um, within the punk reference. Um, but against it's 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 their breakout of the against the um corporate and late stage capitalism um steampunk tends to have the hopeful retro future where everyday people become explorers and inventors and things like that and you end up breaking free of the aristocracy and framework of egalitarianism you know mm-hmm. uh, you know where only the highfalutin can can do these things. These people are having adventures and and showing up, if you will, that framework. Yeah, steam, steampunk sits in a weird in a weird place because a lot of a lot of the punk genres are about you know the little man fighting against uh, against the the, the, the big man. Mm-hmm. Um, but steampunk almost feels like less less like there's a power struggle and more like just the little man is empowered to join the big man out of a sense of wonder and hope. Like, it's almost like, what if the punk genre weren't so cynical? I think there's a huge, I think there's definitely a gentleman's edge to uh, steampunk. But even if you follow how it came to be, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to get into a huge discussion about it, but it was a huge empowerment because anyone could find clothing framework and go to a steampunk event and be part of that society yeah, and yeah. be empowered to feel egalitarian. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And and show off them themselves and what they've created. I I had a I had a had a steampunk uh, yeah, yeah. moment myself. So yeah, no, I know I I get it. Yeah. I get it. I get it. And I think diesel punk then is the the dark edge of that. It is it is where uh the world is uh is is either at the edge or in the process of self-destruction. You know, mm-hmm. I think that to a degree uh, you've got, um, you know, Bioshock was a great game that kind of sat within the diesel punk kind of framework. It is, it is post wonder. And now we're into what the heck have we done? You know, kind of yeah. state. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, there's something to say that, you know, Mad Max is diesel punk, even though it's post-apocalyptic. Sure. You know, sure, absolutely. it's a it's a blend of the, of that kind of framework. Mm-hmm. Um, so I th- I think you can say that cyberpunk to a degree, but I think it's punking that's really the the core edge of that. 
Yeah, it's kind of its own its own its own subgenre. Um, and it knocks in the box is saying, "Oh no, does punk have another subjective definition based on what qualifies you to attach it? Much like how it constitutes how what constitutes a Christmas movie based on what subjective subjectively qualifies you to choose your own personal definition." He says, "I sit in the in the Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, but more Christmas flavored camp." I mean, that's first true. off. Um, we're going to be banning you uh, from the Discord for uh, saying that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. Die Hard absolutely is a Christmas movie, and it is, in fact, the best Christmas movie. Um, but, no, I mean, like, look, I suppose I, I get what you're getting at, that punk means different things to different people, and it can be a little bit subjective. But I, I, I don't know that, you know, this this isn't by any means a... a uh, the definitive, oh god, you know no. the the only definition of punk you could operate under. Like we're by no means expert. On I'm this, I'm not a but... professor. I'm not a literary expert. I haven't had you know literary science degrees behind me in in any way. But what I'm saying is is that for the framework of of defining genres, yeah, I yeah. I think it does work. I think I think it is a way for someone to very comfortably say. If I need to to frame something up, I think this is a comfortable way to frame it. I think it is, and I, I I would tend to agree that a lot of the people who are within those would probably understandably say, "Yeah, I guess that would fit." But they're everybody has their own flavor. I mean, that's that's the beauty of of, of this. Exactly, exactly. Um, I think the the, the best the best quote that I was able to find um, that, that kind of helped us define what we were looking here is uh, like steampunk is about a world waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. Diesel punk is about a world that's about to self-destruct. Yeah. And that's why I think, yes, absolutely. Mad Max is diesel punk. Yeah. Um, because even though it's already kind of destructed, it's still teetering on the edge of just completely, you know, yeah. tank girl. Another one. <laughs> uh, that, that quote comes from Aja Romana uh, Romano via uh, the on the the Daily dot com. Yeah, yeah. So, do we want to start getting the questions? Because I think the questions help. Yeah, kind of flow through things. The, 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 we had some really great questions, mm-hmm. uh, and so we just kind of they, they all kind of pointed into the discussion topics we wanted to have already. So, uh, we use them as a lot of jumping off points for our uh, the main thrust of our show today. Uh, so instead of like waiting towards the end, we're just gonna throw them right in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first question comes from Overwatch. What multi-genre setting would you like to see that hasn't really made the tabletop in a big way? Inversely, is there one that you see way too much of or that rubs you the wrong way? Okay. Um, do you want to open or do you want me to? Uh, I mean, I'm first on the show sheet, but that doesn't necessarily mean we <laughs> you know, we have to go in that order. Do you want to take no, it? No, go right ahead. I'll let, you, I'll let you roll first. All right. Uh, so two-part question. Um what multi-genre setting hasn't made it in the tabletop in a big way? Um, my first and uh, first and primary answer to this is post-apocalyptic fantasy. I tend to agree with you. Uh, so, post-apocalyptic fantasy. Um, there's only one game system that I know of that even kind of verges on this, um, and that is Numenara. Uh, we talked. To, we did a system spotlight on Numenara. It uses the cipher system. Um, a lot of that, though. It, like, Sean and I were talking last night, like, is Numenar actually post-apocalyptic? I guess that, again, you have to define what post-apocalyptic is then. Right, so you have to kind of look at what what constitutes post-apocalyptic. So, in Numenar's lore, like, seven ages have come to pass, basically. Uh, civilizations have risen and fallen. Yeah. I think, I think it's seven, if I remember correctly. Um, somewhere around there. I'm lots, quote lots of them. And yeah. we're talking about thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years have passed um, since our contemporary age. Yes. And... um. Whereas some of those, you know, did actually self-destruct in an yeah. apocalyptic way. Others literally were just like, hey, uh, we're a high-tech spacefaring society now, so we're just going to leave the solar system. Bye. We're yep. done here. Yep. Now, does that constitute an apocalypse? I don't know. I mean, they've effectively removed themselves from the equation. Yeah. We are living with the relics of their lost civilization so is it post-apocalyptic post-civilization yes you know but i guess the element of like post-apocalypse that i'm looking for in the fantasy mm-hmm. is that there are elements of the previous civilization that we still live in the ruins of essentially yeah um 
And whether that's distant enough that we don't know anything about that past civilization yeah. or have forgotten a lot about it, or maybe we have vague legends about what happened in the past. Yeah, at uh, Overwatch actually himself had um, a setting that he was working with um, that was post-apocalyptic mm-hmm. fantasy. Um, and I thought it was really neat because it, it allowed him to use the Savage World system very cleanly mm-hmm. to 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 have things that were technological that were m- almost mythic. Yeah. You know, in yeah, what absolutely. they were. And I I think that kind of stuff is 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 neat. I think there's some some definite neat directions you can take with that. Uh see a lot of a lot of a lot of current fantasy um actually does have like post-apocalyptic elements to it, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't call them post-apocalyptic. Like for instance, um the Teldori campaign setting uh, mm-hmm. uh had the calamity uh, mm-hmm. Forgotten Realms has the time of troubles and spell oh, God, play, yeah. but yeah. like none of this stuff really like wiped out and reset the clock on things. Right, you know? right. Um, there were there were major changes to, uh, to to society, but like I don't know that I would call them post apocalyptic. You know, I would I would love to see a post apocalyptic Shadowrun fantasy where the Shadowrun universe ends hard that could be interesting yeah and like there's like literally a hard reset you know emf cooks the earth like mm-hmm. the sun just bakes the earth or or or, or a uh, you know neutron star cooks the earth and all technology shuts down breaks and destroys itself yeah, yeah. and so now we're dealing with a a, a neutrino laden earth so like you can't even start up you can't even get a battery to charge for a thousand years mm-hmm. okay Society falls, without a doubt. People die, billions upon billions would die from that. On top of everybody who's already been, you know, killed off. And we don't know what that would have done to magic on top of that. So now you'd end up with this barren wasteland of of an earth that regrows. And so what happens? You know where do where do we end up? What what comes from that? I think that could be an interesting Mm -hmm. setting to set to start into. Yeah, absolutely. You know. Uh, the big one for me is uh, uh, Wheel of Time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, a, a great Amazon show right now that we've we've been just like vibrating with excitement. I, over. I had no idea until you pointed it out to me that it was post-apocalyptic. Yeah, mo- well, that, and that's the thing is it's it's subtle enough that most people don't know that off the top of their head. It's just this big epic fantasy series. Mm-hmm. But you start listening to people talking about the Age of Legends before the breaking of the world, which was their apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And um, you get occasional relics that show up from the – oh, it's this old relic from the Age of Legends. Cool. What does it do? Well, there are these, these two tablets. And if you if you channel the one power into them just a little bit, you can talk into the tablet and the other person can hear you from any distance. Oh, so they're cell phones? Yeah. And you just need to charge the battery with magic? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it's it sounds ridiculous, but it's it works. And then there are um, minor spoilers here, but there are these characters who were around during the Age of Legends mm-hmm. that are that are in the present day um, of the story, and some of them are kind of commiserating, like, "Man, you remember, you remember when we had air conditioning? Like, this heat is killing me. Like, it sucks that we don't have air conditioning anymore." And you're like, "What air conditioning?" <laughs> you know, yeah, like... <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's, you know, they, they talk about what they had in the Age of Legends, and it sounds like a utopian, futuristic society. They had flying cars, they had elevators, they had all this great stuff that we have nowadays. Mm-hmm. And um, once you contextualize it like that, you're like, holy crap. They they had cell phones, they had airplanes, they had air conditioning. Yeah, they, this is this is definitely post-apocalyptic. They, they beat themselves back into the Stone Age, so they have to use swords and horses again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um I think I think for me something that hasn't really been done well or yet would be like Tron Punk. You know. I love that idea. Like like literally a a completely in system and you know agnostic of what's going on in the outside. We don't know time is t- completely different in it. So you have a setting where you have sentient programs that are aware of themselves, mm-hmm. that are aware of others, moving through systems that are sometimes advanced and sometimes not, mm-hmm. you know, all fighting this uh, this global controlling element, 
you know, of some kind of mainframe or, or, or control programs the or whatever, you know, the master program. control, the whole concept that Tron had behind it. Like, I, I it almost feels like it needs to be done mm-hmm. because there's so much, you know, landscape already here for us. Yeah. It's been plowed for the last 25 years and embedded into our lingo that there's nothing that says that we couldn't have this agreed and it agreed it's it, it's incorporated in other games and i and i i dare say that like say what you want about the the the, the second tron movie mm-hmm. um, i didn't particularly care for it but i know there's you know there's there's a there's a group of people who really love it mm-hmm. um but i didn't think it was bad i think i think our modern age like i tron was almost ahead of its time in that I don't know that a lot of people were really ready for a story that takes place inside of a computer. I don't think they know how to t- take it at all. But I think nowadays where people are a lot more tech savvy just on the regular because we're all so saturated in it that, like, it's quite possible we're we're ripe for, you know, a, a game that takes place in computer architecture, you know? That's, that is not just humanity entering it right right that is that is always our thing as humanity enters the frame it's when we when we are not the center of it is Mm -hmm. when the story can sometimes really feel different i mean playing mouse guard is a, a is a challenge because you're you're not playing a human you're playing a mouse and you have to remember that and you have to remember that it's a different place when you're playing other games and you're playing as an ai who's trying to be you know or or a robot trying to become human with other humans around mm-hmm. you know whether it's alien or cyberpunk or any of those things it's a different setting but when you're playing a sentient ai of a piece of software that software has rules yeah it has a guideline a framework yeah and it has goals so, like so, it was written for a purpose so that creates your background uh-huh. and your framework for your character very differently. That's where classes that you see in something like City of Mist or Urban Shadows, where it's less about what you do, but more about who you are, mm-hmm. that makes it. And I, I think that's where it could really shine. Yeah. I yeah, mean, you absolutely. could, I think you could use a framework like City of Mist or Urban Shadows um, to frame something like this and, and have a very. Uh, interesting storytelling yeah. that wraps around it. Yeah, I'd, I'd play it. I'd play yeah. it. If you ran it, I'd play it. Um, <laughs> I, I talked to you a little bit about uh, one of my favorite video games, Tron 2.0, uh, which I thought explored a lot of this stuff uh, excellently. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's it's an older game. There's there's uh, it's still available, I believe, on Steam. There's a there's a sort of an update patch you can um, find out on the internet. It's a fan made uh, update for it that mm-hmm. like fixes the aspect ratio and mm-hmm. the graphics updates and stuff like that, so you can play it on modern machines and whatnot. Right. Um, but it did a lot of really wonderful things. Um, you play um, as Alan's son Jet. Mm-hmm. Uh, who gets digitized and pulled in? So you sure. are still humans enter the enter right. the frame, of course. But um, of course, everybody else you you end up talking to is a program. Like mm-hmm. you're the only human in there. Um, and there's a lot of really great moments um, of exhibiting computer architecture as a physical space that you're moving around in. Yeah, you were you 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 end up you were saying in a old palm pilot which yeah. doesn't have enough space for you so it's this tiny yep physical space you're like a whole ass human that gets loaded onto a palm pilot and the palm pilot starts yelling at you for destroying its its memory you know because yeah. it's like you're you're so much Get out of bigger my house. of a program than it can handle it's like a note app a yeah. calculator app a calendar yeah and one other and like a, i think a minesweeper app or something like that you know um and it's this tiny little level because it's a Palm Pilot. Mm-hmm. Of course, it doesn't have sweeping vistas. It's mm-hmm. like four rooms. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> doing it's, the best it can. It's this little puzzler, and basically the whole goal is to basically close enough of the applications and mm-hmm. force quit them so that it can open up its own I/O port, so you can leave and get off its front lawn. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Um, but I, but I think that that's that's telling. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. There's there's another level in there too that I thought you'd appreciate where. Um, uh, two of you, you and a program that's helping you, are trying to travel through this system. Mm-hmm. Um, and you like you go onto these old backup servers, mm-hmm. and when you get there, your companion isn't with you. 
and you find out that it's because those backup servers are kind of like powered down and you need to work on overclocking the processor so it can handle having both of you in the mainframe at the same time. Nice. Okay. And then you end up like on the internet and it looks like Times Square. Right, and right. And you get spammed with message. Oh, it's just, it's perfect. There's so many great moments okay. of just imagining what computer architecture would look like if it were a movable, traversable, livable space. Yeah, and and where the rules and physics are completely different. Uh-huh. Yeah, because they don't have the same boundaries. All right, so what's overdone? Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, fantasy. Fantasy is 100% oversaturated, and I say this as someone who primarily runs fantasy. Yeah. Like, uh, it's I, accessible. It's my main It's my main squeeze. It's my main genre. I am running an Elder Scrolls-themed game right now. It's just a different flavor of fantasy, but mm-hmm. I liked it because Elder Scrolls is different enough from other contemporary, like, Lord of the Rings ripoff fantasy, you mm-hmm. know? Everything just feels like um, different flavors of Forgotten Realms, and again, like... I'm a huge Critical Role fan. Mm-hmm. I, I love Critical Role. Uh, their Teldore Reborn book is uh, coming out in January, I believe. Um, their Explorer's Guide to Wildmount is already out. They've been added canon to the D&D setting. I love all of that. And I want Critical Role to succeed. I want Matthew Mercer to succeed. <laughs> but I'm going to say, I don't know that we need... Like, I don't know that Teldore offers anything different enough from forgotten realms or anything like that that i see it as like oh oh i gotta jump on that you know right right. it's i'm sure i'm sure that product has a place for a lot of other people and i wish those people well and i i hope you have a lot of fun with it but for me personally like i'm just i'm just tired of forgotten realms getting photocopied and re-released you know no i get it i thought eberron was great yeah. Because Eberron reimagined a lot of things about how the fantasy genre works. Mm-hmm. You know, when you've got, like, lightning elementals running monorails for you. Right. You know, that was awesome. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. More of that. That's what I want. Yeah. If I had to pick a a, a a fantasy setting that wasn't a homebrew, we're going to play Eberron. Mm-hmm. You know, but holy cow. Uh, that was, like, it was so refreshing because it was the first time I'd ever mm-hmm. seen anybody look at the fantasy genre and go, like, you know, we should really explore what we can do with this rather than just going, oh, there's orcs and elves and dwarves. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I tend to agree with that. Um, for me, I would say the thing that I felt kind of did it bad did it bad or poorly, really, or, or really felt confusing for me is Trinity, actually. Uh, Adventure uh, Aeon Trinity. Um, because it's hero punk, fantasy, sci-fi superhero godlike powers yeah but it's really cynical and it feels like the game itself is not very well put together to say this is pulp and you're discovering something only to fail forward you know or this is you to feel heroic or this is you to struggle with who you are as a hero or this it opens all the doors and because of that really doesn't do a great job of explaining itself and why it's there. Yeah, I... Like, Trinity... a, like systems do a good job of explaining, like, who they are mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. what their primary story, you know, what the kind of general primary story they're telling. Is this adventure? Is this mystery? Is this horror? Is this survival? And Trinity is kind of pulp mystery adventure horror? But in space. In space? Uh, of the future? Yeah. I, so. It, it feels like there's too much. It's it's under, um, is it Onyx Path that's got them now? I think so. Uh, I, I've, I've forgotten. I've, we've, we've, we've reviewed so many different game systems and I feel really bad about, Don't about, worry about not, it. not having stuff stuff in my head. But um, uh, they... I, they may have done something different with the setting. Um, I, I haven't I haven't really looked at it. I know they've they've taken the whole Aeon Continuum or Trinity Continuum mm-hmm. and and made it you know like one big massive universe with kind of like one set of rules that kind of spans them. Yeah. Rather than the three that were originally published by White Wolf. Um, so maybe they've done something different with it. I I don't know. I haven't actually taken the time yeah, to look into it. Everything that I followed on it is, is that it feels like they just took the the root story of a questionably good guy, uh, utopian group that mm-hmm. is trying to do the best for the world, a 
anti, like, not utopian, but anti-group that is basically saying, like, hey, uh, they're not doing everything by the book, and we're not going to follow those rules. And then a third, like, shall we say, supernatural group that was pushed away, that has come back to cause calamity of their own, that is that is that are almost godlike. Uh, yes and no. I think the thing about the, the whole Trinity universe to me is that it would make a much better book or movie than it does a game system. Yes. Because there's so much lore and so many dramatis personae that mm-hmm. are pulling and pushing against the universe that it's almost difficult to find a place for your own character to make a mark in it. I agree with that statement. And I would say the same thing would be true for 7C, except 7C does a fine job of saying, you're the hero. Mm-hmm. Go do something heroic and be recognized for it. Yeah. Whereas Trinity is just like, here's the shit of the world. Here's all the questions to ask. Okay. And and leaves you on that doorstep. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't give you a direction, doesn't push you in anything, doesn't doesn't give a conclusion to the statement. It just makes a statement. Yeah, I tried and running Trinity precisely once and it didn't go well and it, I just I just yeah. I mean, adventure I a... has a uh, its primary word, adventure. Yeah. sells itself. But from the moment that you start reading it, you understand who you are. Adventure you... has an identity, and I would say Aberrant has a really good identity. I think for the most part, Aberrant has a very good identity. But, like, I, I, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you that Trinity feels a little loose in its identity. Mm-hmm. Really difficult to find your footing in. So, yep. so I get yep. you. Okay, okay. Knox has a very long question, but there are, I think, two questions in here, really. All right. Um, And that is... is uh, we can agree that certain systems are uh, systems are designed in a way to add a feel and uh, and import uh, to the genre it's catering to, be it horror, advantage, adventure, or fantasy. I agree. Uh, my question is, how do you maintain a certain genre's weight and appeal when another game system might be counterproductive to it? That's a good question. Mm-hmm. Um, he then goes an example uh, with D&D 5e might not be so terrifying because the character's get noticeably stronger, whereas a system like um, Call, of Cthulhu. Call of Cthulhu that keeps the characters weak or even de- uh, degrading can actually enhance the horror, which is true. Agreed. We, we've Agreed. said that multiple times that D&D can't really do horror well because... You have too many... You're too strong. You're, you're too, there's too many options there's to get too, out of it. Yeah. Um, is there a system that you can think that supports a, and balances a multi-genre game nicely, or do you think that any system can do this work effectively? Um, I think this is... I think it's a good question. I'm not. Or, or two, two, I think question, there are two yeah. amazing questions, um, but I think that there are some chunks to this that um, that that are simple in my mind. Yeah. Um, is that really you've got some basic questions to, to ask yourself when you're looking into a story, and we've kind of gone over these in our previous stuff. Like, mm-hmm. you have is it heroes or is it survival? Yeah. Like that's that you have to understand that if it if it's one or the other, it, it, it fits because obviously do you want your players to feel like they're constantly succeeding? Are they failing forward? Are they barely making it out alive or are they flat out on the run? Mm-hmm. Like, w- how do you want that to feel? Is it a plotted path or an open world? Do you expect your players to know what they're doing and follow the dotted line or do you want them to just search and discover and find quests and mystery and hap- you know whatever it may be? And then how fast do you intend your gameplay to be? Mm-hmm. Do you expect a challenging encounter to do a lot of planning and then dice rolling and then tactical metagaming? Or should the players make a few rolls together or even just one person makes a roll for that challenge or, or handles that challenge? And and then you move on to the scene. Like, it's just discussionary at that point. Mm-hmm. And each one of those questions frames your system and the world and the speed, and you can get a lot closer to understanding where you should be fitting things. Because you can shoehorn into anything, but it, you're right, it's not going to feel correct. Because you're not meeting the needs of the story you're trying to tell, regardless of the theme that you're running. So that that's that's my nutshell. Okay, okay. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, so I I'm, I'm seeing some questions here about the game system. 
Um, how do you maintain a, a certain genre's weight of appeal when another game's system might be counterproductive to it, is the question I'm seeing. Correct, correct. Um, Which is where I'm saying, like, if in my whole thing is is that if you're if you're weighing into a system and it's counterproductive, you're already you're already causing problems. Yes, yeah, yeah. You you uh, choosing your game system is the third critical step in your equation of what two genres am I going to mix? Correct. You get your genre A, your genre B, and then you have to say, okay, how do I what what is important to represent and what game system will help me represent those things? Yeah. Like you said, you know, how do you want the flow of action to be? Where do you want the focus to be? And what game system, what rules are going to pull those things into focus mm-hmm. and push the other things to the side? Um, and you want like it, it, there's also that intangible like feel mm-hmm. of your game system, you know, Um is your game system supposed to be light and pulpy and fast, fun, furious? Well, then, you know, Savage Worlds feels like an obvious choice to me because that's its tagline, fast, fun, furious. You know, mm-hmm. it's very loosey, fast rules. Um, whereas, you know, are, are, are you are, are you really, like, fo- focusing on the minutia? Is this a hardcore survival story you're trying to play? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, are you marooned on a desert planet after your starship, you know, crashes? And you have to account for every last drop of water and every, you know, how sharp your blade is so you can continue to cut down the few little plants that you have and make mm-hmm. crude rope out of them. You know, yep. that's a that's a type of story. But you're not going to play fast and loose with those rules. Mm-hmm. You're going to measure every little minutia out of that. Well, this goes know? back to, um, and, and I'll, I'll frame it this way. When you were talking about creating a division game, a mm-hmm. tabletop division game, we went over the pieces that were, were important to you as yes. the storyteller. Not necessarily that matched the division video game. Right. And right. that's that's the difference is, is just because you have a framework, maybe a TV show or a video game or something that is giving you your inspiration, it doesn't mean you have to meet that standard. You have to meet the standard by which you are portraying it. So I think that's the key difference there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and the thing you've got to keep in mind about your systems, um, and this is with any system really, mm-hmm. Uh, whenever you're choosing a system is that it's so it offers you the toolkit for how to work with within your story it informs your risks mm-hmm. it informs your consequences and it informs your rewards yes okay yes whether your players realize it or not they are going to shy away from consequences and they're going to attempt to maximize rewards yes okay so 7c it's a very mm-hmm. narrative game system. Yeah. But if you tell me this is going to cost you a drama die, mm-hmm. I don't care what I'm doing. I'm going to think twice about doing that. Right. Because that's a consequence. Yep. I, as a player, don't want to incur a consequence. I want to find a way of getting what I want without incurring a consequence. I don't mm-hmm. want to expend a resource for this. Yeah. On the other hand, something like Mouse Guard, where to succeed, you must fail. Yeah. Where, hey, I don't mind if I fail because actually I get a check under fails and that's how I increase my skills. You feel, I get a, you I, might feel I, bad. I may, introduce, I may introduce a complication to your check so that, or your, to your test so that I get a check and that means I get an extra move during the player turn. That's right. And it's it's not a check against that person because the story is still continuing forward. Yeah. yeah. You, don't, you don't fail in Mouse Guard. Mm-hmm. You just succeed with consequences. Mm-hmm. And that consequence might take the story in a different, interesting direction. Yeah. And I know? think that's that's the beauty of those kinds of stories. But the but the important thing is, is that settings, your settings. system is what, – what, what the core of this is, your system is going to disincentivize activities you, you want your players to do – and or incentivizes activities you don't want them to engage in, then your story is not going to have the same impact. Correct. Okay. We've talked a lot about how D&D, like, you know, and you mentioned it right here in your question. D&D is not a good horror system. No. It's not a good horror system because D&D as its whole gives you a gigantic toolkit for which to kick ass. Yes. To kick wholesale monster ass. Yeah, it is the John Wick. And if I can (laughs) kick your ass, I'm not afraid of you. Yeah. The whole system is built around how do I optimize my character to kick even more ass than in, than is numerically intended. Yeah. How do I work with others to synergize our ass kicking? Yes. You know? And so when you're like, rawr, it's a monster. Well, I've got to 
big shiny box full of hammers over here and you've just presented me a very interesting nail. Mm-hmm. What do you think I'm going to do? Right. You know, exactly. I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm afraid. No, I'm going to kick the monster's ass. So if that's not what the feeling you want, then maybe, maybe D&D is not your strong story. system. Yep. Exactly. And altering that system to make it, maybe you need to tweak it a bit. But if the whole thing is, is that you don't want them kicking the ass of the monster constantly... Don't use D&D. Then don't give them the toolkit to do so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the, the the core of this is you should your system should teach the players how to interact with your story. Yeah. Okay. If you want a pulpy style heroic adventure, Savage Worlds is great for that because it has a mechanic of giving and, and using bennies. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got you're a wild card. You've got your wild die. Success is kind of assumed. Mm-hmm. You know. And it's, it's going to be fast, it's going to be pulpy, you're going to feel heroic doing it. If you want horror, mm-hmm. and you want your characters to feel the weight of the horrific things that happen to them, then Call of Cthulhu might be a great rule set. Mm-hmm. You know? You take sanity damage, or um, uh, we just talked about like the alien rule set. I was going to bring up alien is a, with, is a great... like the stress dice yep. and stuff like that. Like that's, that's a great mechanic. If you want your characters to interact with your story in that manner, if those are the things you want them to focus on, those are the rules you should use. Right. And at the same time, although Savage World is, is very good and at, at working with that kind of light pulpiness, it is a very deadly system. Sure, there it can is, be. Yeah. There, there is no way to, to come back. There, the, it is challenging as hell to resurrect if using the core rules, yeah, yeah. So, um, so, so going back to that is that is that if you do want to have a system that's still tactical but is still supportive, it's a great way to also remind your players that like, yeah, shit can still hit the fan, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and so, in some cases, much worse, uh, with much worse consequences. Yeah, yeah um, and, and that's the thing is is that when you you want to emphasize the things within the system that discourage where it needs to discourage. Yeah, yeah. And know what like what your what's the most important thing that people should be feeling when they're done with with a challenge. Should they feel like they triumphed, but it was easy, like it was no big deal. Like they're they're Galahad on a horse and they're looking down and they're like they're looking down at the maiden fair and they're saying, "Ah, it was nothing because it wasn't anything, mm-hmm. but it was a lot of fun to do it." Or is it, you know, five marines crawling out of a bug-infested hole, you know, covered in stuff, low on ammo, reaching the crest of the hill and looking out and going, our dropship is still a click out. Mm-hmm. Are we going to make it? <laughs> you know, yeah. that that's, that's the difference. Like, you feel like you succeeded, but you still got a long way to go. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. So I, that that's where I I kind of take that one. So. Yeah. So no matter no matter what you blend together to get your multi genre setting, and you want to choose the right system for it, that's what you should be looking for is a system that represents the feel of what you're going for. Yep. Uh, all right. So the Mad Elf asks, mm-hmm. uh, what would be your favorite favored game system choice to run a multi genre setting, in addition to uh, in addition to Swade, and why choose the system that you just named rather than the hero system? <laughs> I, wow, I think you, like, yeah. What's what's the best system for multi genre, and why is it hero? <laughs> why, why is it, why is it hero, or why isn't it hero? Uh, so I like, I'm gonna go first on this one. Go ahead. Um, uh, so Mad Elf, we we know each other in real life. Uh, you run our mouse guard game. We've had discussions about mm-hmm. Savage Worlds and Hero and stuff like that. And uh, even you said that Savage Worlds is better than Hero. Yeah. Um, you Are you said, just gonna leave it there? Just drop the mic. <laughs> that's, that's basically it. Like you. <laughs> It's like hero, but better. So yeah, Suede is my go-to for homebrew settings right now. Yep. Um, and the the big reason I like Savage Worlds, um, aside from the fact that I'm uh, friend, friends of the show, no, I am a I'm huge on light rule sets. Mm-hmm. Uh, Savage Worlds plays fast, fun, furious, quick to um, learn, quick to learn, quick to learn. The rules are super, super, super easy, and um, we were able to roll right into it. You were able to move from D&D to Savage Worlds literally in one game. In one game system, yeah. Mm-hmm. And in everybody one, one got it. And mm-hmm. Everybody was fully participating in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we'll be better at it as we go through, but I think it, it, learning the instance was, was perfect. No, but but the second thing about Suede, though, is that uh, it's a great system for this because um, 
since it is a uh, a generic system at mm-hmm. its core, it's got a lot of add-ons and toolkits. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, the, the superhero companion is mm-hmm. just coming out. Yep. Um, uh, they're redoing all the companions for super for for uh, Suede now, mm-hmm. um, the Adventure Edition. Yeah. Uh, the superhero companion was just coming out. Uh, I think they've got horror and fantasy slated for uh, for coming up pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of good settings and some of that, all compatible with Savage Worlds. And also, uh, one of the most famous multi-genre games, Rifts, yeah. is was lifted from Palladium and put into their Savage Rifts is a yeah. thing. It's out there's and it makes sense. Multiple books for it because it, they do have rules for all the medieval weapons, all the futuristic weapons and stuff of like that. It's very easy. They're all balanced against each other, so it's easy to say like uh yeah, um it's a fantasy setting but there's rail guns. Sure. In mechs walking around from the yep. post-apocalyptic civilization before you. Why not? Cool. We've all got rules for that and I don't need to tweak anything. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's it's why I've been looking at it for um, altering my my seven C to do Savage Seas. Absolutely, and I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that's that's it's 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 waiting on my head that I, I need to start tweaking that. Although now I'm starting to think of a Tron game. Uh, so. so that that said, though, you should all like 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 we 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 talked about in in um, Knox's question. You should always pick the best system for this for this for the story you're trying to run. Mm-hmm. Not there, there's no one size fits all for this. Right, Savage my go to in general. But like, if I were trying to run, you know, Lovecraft in space, I'm definitely running Call of Cthulhu. Um, or if I want to focus more on the space elements, I might grab Traveler. Yeah, because those are already great for doing those types of stories. Yeah, and adding something in like, oh, this is a horror in space. You can still run Traveler. You just be creepy about your storytelling. Mm-hmm. You know, you can. Still tell, you know, uh, uh, fantasy sci-fi using Traveler if you just add in some aliens. Yeah. You know? No, no, I, I 100% agree with that. And for me, it I, I go with that. I don't recall Hero all that well, but I know it's I know it well enough for its simplicity. Mm-hmm. And I think for that, it, it makes it easy. And I think that's the whole point of this is that these are systems that at, a, at their core are simplistic. Yeah. They are talking... Outside of setting, they're talking about who they are. We are a hero system with wild cards. You know, it's it's removing the setting and going back to this is a game system that is genre. Mm-hmm. I'm giving you an initial genre. Go ahead and mix it. Do what you want with it. And I think that's that's the core component there that's neat about it. I think beyond that, we're talking, is it tactical? Is it narrative? Is it heroic? Is it survival? Like, find out which one of those it is, and you will know what system's going to work for you. Do you need something that's gritty and and number-intensive because you need it to be very tactical? Then grab Palladium or grab D&D. Gra- grab a system that has the, the genre feel that you need for it. Yeah, sure. Do you need it to be narrative? Go wild. Go, go grab something from... Uh, uh, from Savage World or or the City of Mist uh, or or something like that, where you're not dealing with any equipment whatsoever. Yeah, it's not even part of the system. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, heroic. Like there there are tons of heroic systems out there that just basically make you a god, so that you don't aren't thinking about that, mm-hmm. and it makes it really easy. And then survival, <laughs> you can go as simple as dread. Dread. Yep. Yep. I mean, St- stack go- a Jenga tower and just tell a creepy story. So yep. there's there's nothing that says you can't. It's just a matter of how you fall into it, um, whether you need a more tactical feel or less, whether you need simple rules just to play it off with your friends, like go, go grab WRNM. Sure. There you go. Simple rule oh, set. God, Move on. WRNM, so you good. know, but but don't weigh yourself so hard on it. Mm-hmm. All Absolutely. right. Uh, so. So our next next week's topic uh, it's excuse me last uh, last episode of twenty twenty one it's so gonna be our year in review year in review we're gonna talk about uh, you know our favorite shows our favorite questions There's There's a lot of, some lot of some movies stuff. that we actually talked about tonight over dinner I think I'm gonna bring up a little bit so. yeah absolutely. Go ahead. Uh, so you can find us on Twitter at SC underscore Conclave, on Instagram at SC underscore Conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night uh, at 7 p.m. Eastern time uh, on MixLR.com slash Storyteller dash Conclave. And uh, join us up on our Discord. Uh, you can find the link to our Discord up on Twitter uh, or on our website, StorytellerConclave.com. We'd like to thank our you, our listeners, as well. Uh, but our Patreon members, especially our named members, Knox in the Box, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion Veteran, and Hulavu, we thank you every week for helping us out as much as you have. 
Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. Uh, you can find them at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro music is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find that at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout-out, as always, to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much Thank for you loving so much. and supporting us. All of our friends who have sat with us at our tables over the years give us all these great stories to share with you. And you, every single one of our listeners, Happy New Year. Yeah. Uh, have, Blessed Yule. Merry Christmas. Uh, I know Hanukkah is uh, long over. Yeah, but, we, uh, we've wrapped that. Uh, you know, uh, happy Hanukkah, everybody. Um, stay healthy. Stay healthy. We love you so much. Good night. Good night.